Hey, welcome to the After Now podcast with Tim and George. Give us a listen. What do you have to lose? Because let's be honest, you've wasted time on sketchier stuff than this before. Hey, Tim. Hey, George. So there are three guys walking in the desert. The first guy is carrying a glass of water. The other two guys ask him, why are you carrying a glass of water? He says, well, if we get thirsty, we can drink it. The second guy is carrying a bowl of rice. So the other guys ask him, why would you bring rice? The guy said, well, if we get hungry, we can eat it. And the third guy is carrying a car door. <laughs> okay. And the two guys ask him, why are you carrying a car door? And the third guy says, if we get it too hot, we can roll down the window. God help our listeners. Yeah, sorry. You know what? I'm not even going to apologize for those because some people actually think they're kind of funny. No, so. I do. I think I think it's great. <laughs> and, um, and we will be talking about the desert in a second, won't we? We will. We will. Uh, it's 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 a big project in the desert that we are going to talk about. Okay. Okay. Um, but we first wanted to talk about something that happened a couple of days ago, right? Yes. We we want to we want to take a detour. Um, because we did spend, uh, well, we're, we're fans of this franchise and we do spend a lot of time talking about it. Um, and, and we, we lost an absolute icon and icon is, is thrown around so much these days, but this person truly was an icon that we lost. Yeah. Nichelle Nichols. And she played, if you don't know who she is, she played, uh, Lieutenant Lahura. Uh, on Star Trek from 1966, um, believe it or not, to 1967. That's when the original series aired. Between um, it was three seasons, and uh, or or three plus seasons, and she was she was a pioneer on that show, and she played in all the uh, all the movies too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She did play in all the original movies, Star Trek, uh, the motion picture, um, and and so forth and so on, but. You know, one of the things that we were talking about in our last episode, which um, is ironic, is, uh, you know, Sci-Fi's influence. And this isn't so much of a, you know, this is a narrative that was played out under the veil of Sci-Fi, right? Where yeah. somebody yeah. yeah, somebody had a vision, and that, that somebody was uh, um, Roddenberry. And Gene Roddenberry, who is the showrunner and creator of Star Trek, the original series and, and many other iterations, including the movies, um, he uh, he had the vision of, of, you know, human societal utopia, where everyone lived together, everyone is happy, the, the idealistic, you know, human society. Yeah, it, the struggle to get there, right? Because the, the entire series was about all the challenges and you're you're absolutely right it was about um in in the series no one looked at any other species or race or aliens or whatever as any different <laughs> they, yep. they were not looked down upon yep no no for sure and you know one of the things that we were talking about in our last episode was the impact on you know the human condition and yeah if anybody uh can say that anybody had an impact on the human condition i mean let's just let's just think about it off the cuff here i mean 1960s late 1960s oh. <laughs> turbulent time um you know obviously we were dealing with a lot of uh uh issues uh you know, human rights issues uh a lot of equal rights issues and uh you know, a, a lot of people who were on TV were at the forefront of it. Not many people uh, were in, you know, unfortunately at the time, not many people were in a lead role of no. color who were of color. Um, uh, Nichelle Nichols most definitely was. And there, there's a funny story that's tied to this. And, and funny in a way that it's, uh, you look back on it and it's very serious and very somber. But 
she didn't realize what the funny part was she at the time and she admitted in numerous interviews that she didn't realize the weight of the role that she was playing hmm. um and so yeah. i i guess after the first season um she had decided to move on or she was thinking about moving on uh back to uh theater um and she wanted to leave the show and she had approached gene roddenberry um this is how the story goes and said you know I'm I'm thinking about going, you know, moving on, doing other projects, so forth and so on. And, you know, I think it pretty much floored Gene Roddenberry, who essentially really wanted this role, a person of color, a woman, a strong woman who would play this role. And he he was he was floored. Why are you leaving? And she was like you know, I just want to move on. Um, she had reasons. And uh, he was basically like, you know, I, I'm not going to accept your resignation. You know, I want <laughs> you to think about it. And we're going to continue to have these conversations. Um, I, it, out of pure happenstance, there was, I guess, a NAACP event that happened in or around the time that she had this conversation with Gene Roddenberry. Uh, again, the showrunner and, and, and creator of Star Trek. And at that NAACP event was Dr. King. And she no had, way. yeah, Dr. Martin Luther King. And, you know, she was uh, in, in or around, somehow they were introduced to one another. And, and Dr. King had said, it was reported that he had said, you know, um, I, I don't let my children watch anything else other than Star Trek because of your role in it and the fact that you're a strong woman a, a woman of color um and she had said something to the effect of yeah i'm gonna really miss my co-stars because in her mind she was already <laughs> she was already moving on we we all know that that didn't happen and dr king's like you can't move on you you, you don't understand the weight the um uh, the, uh, what you bring to the show and the importance of that. And I guess they had a very long conversation at, at this event. And, you know, he put a lot of, um, he put a lot of things for her to think about in, in the back of her head. And, um, you know, 1968, I guess he was, unfortunately he was assassinated later that year. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, she wound up staying. She went back to Jean and, and said, you know what, I, I, I had this experience, and I'm I'm going to move forward with the show and and see where it takes me. So, you know, there you go. That that's just a small snippet of history, um, tied loosely to sci-fi. Um, sci-fi was the vehicle, um, but really, uh, the end result was uh, a better world. Yeah, and and that's. That's what we talked about the the power of of sci-fi, and so you had an African American woman. Now, in the '60s, African Americans were were not given very good roles, right? No, there right. a lot a lot a lot of the the roles on TV were stereotypes, um, and women we're not given uh weighty roles right and african-american women it was even less likely to get a role like this and and nichelle had grace and the way she carried herself was absolutely perfect for the role because she was a communications officer she had to be smart um you know she was she had to be cool in the face of danger um all these things and how many little girls saw this she ended up being a role model yeah oh yeah for sure and um the interesting thing is um back in the 60s and 70s and early 80s and even i mean it just doesn't even really confine uh, to the time period of what we're talking about right now. You know, she was a spokesperson for NASA. She, yeah. you, you go to NASA and you talk to a lot of the people who joined NASA in the 
mid 80s who were children watching her on tv they're like well i'm a girl i can be in space i didn't realize that yeah and it goes a step farther oh i'm a girl of color i can do this this is cool you know this science is cool science is cool (laughs) all of these things are cool she was a real trailblazer and if you look at the outpouring of what's you know currently you know happening um within um you know, within the community, you can see many people, you know, the White House made a statement, obviously NASA did, uh, numerous people from around, you know, Hollywood and, and even Martin Luther King, uh, the third, um, you know, uh, uh, he, he, he said, you know, uh, <laughs> thank you for taking us where no one has gone before. And I thought that, I, <laughs> I think that was, I think that was, uh, sweet. So yeah, she's definitely impacted, um, a lot of people far and beyond, uh, her, um, you know, which, which she did with, with her role and career in Star Trek. Yeah. And one of the things that we always try to do on this show is we, we ask you to kind of look beyond and be curious and, 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 you know, um, use your own mind, right. To be independent and look at things. And, and unfortunately when they reported on her death, they said she was in Star Trek and they brought up, well, it was the first TV interracial kiss. That was the least of the impact. It really was. Yeah, it really that, was. That, that, that was. That was just, uh, I mean, it was a big thing maybe culturally because it was the first time on TV. But the impact that she had on on so many people um, was so much bigger than that. It was huge, you yeah. know? Oh, oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, even even people in and out of... I mean, it's funny. <laughs> everyone knows Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a lot of people who aren't Star Trek fans don't realize that Whoopi Goldberg has a huge role in the Star Trek universe. Um, but Whoopi Goldberg, she, she was, uh, you know, uh, Oscar-nominated actress. She, she was also cited as saying, you know... If that that's one of the reasons why went wanted to play a role on Star Trek is because looking back when I watched the original series, I remember watching, um, you know, Nichelle Nichols and, you know, what an impact she had on her and how how free she felt about that. So, you know, um, uh, we we lost uh, somebody who is just an amazing person, um, a beautiful person. And, uh, you know, um, I think you and I just wanted to give a shout out to that. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was ironic timing from our perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Because because we are sci fi nerds and sci fi has driven so much of what we do. And, um, you know, Michelle did was a huge, huge piece of that. So. All right. Well, um, moving on. Right. We're going to be talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking yeah. about uh, uh, some things that are going on in the desert in the Middle East. Yeah, we are. Um, and it's part of it is what it is, but also the potential impact it has for society in a, as, in a whole. Okay. Right. right. As, as a whole. Um, so what we're going to be talking about is something called the line. Now, in order to put it in perspective, the line is part of a bigger project called Neom. Uh, Neom is going to be a Saudi city that's going to be built in northwestern Saudi Arabia. Um, The overall city is going to cover a total area of 10,200 square miles. That's and big. It's, good. <laughs> it's, it's enormous. And the line is going to be a part of this. The line is, um, is going to be about... Um, 110 miles long. 110, 110 miles long. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So think of this. Because I want you to get perspective. It's going to be 110 miles long, 220 yards, 200 meters wide, 
and 1,500 feet tall. Okay. Which is 1,500 feet. That's that's taller than most buildings when you really think about it. Yeah, that's a hundred. It what is about 130, 150 story building. Yeah, and they're 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 saying um, at least the first development or first phase is planned to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 billion and approximately nine million people. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the entire Neom project is going to be the 500 billion. There we go. 500 billion. That's half a trillion. But I was thinking about that. Yep. This is Saudi Arabia, right? Mm -hmm. If you did it over 10 years, that would be $50 billion a year for 10 years. Yeah. Seems more doable. You know? I mean, I mean, Elon, friend of the show. Um, friend of the show. Yeah, friend of the show. He he could uh he could definitely pay for it out of his pocket. Right. So now here here's the thing about the line. Um there's not gonna be any cars or streets. Everything is gonna be so they're gonna have self contained a bunch of self contained neighborhoods that everything is going to be within a five minute walk yeah i believe they call them nodes if i'm not mistaken they're going to be divided into nodes yeah and yes and and, and they're so everything's going to be there including schools and i don't know work probably yeah they say a daily uh all daily services are designed to be reachable within five, a five minute walk so they're building this to be very eco-friendly pedestrian friendly those types of things yeah, with no, uh, they're supposed to have a, a zero carbon footprint. Um, you can get from one, you can travel the entire 110 miles within 20 minutes because they're going to have high speed rail in there. Mm -hmm. um, again, the dimensions, it's 110 miles long, 220 yards. So, so less than two and a half, let's just say two and a half football fields. Yeah. Wide. And and there's a really interesting video on their website. Um, I think they're trying to get across a point where they were showing essentially Manhattan. And they were basically taking Manhattan as it is today. And what would happen if you compressed Manhattan into a similar infrastructure? Basically, you would get the island back. All the greenage and trees and natural landscapes would be returned to the ecosystem, and the humans that would that could uh, inhabit that space as they do today would be it would be much more better use of land. Let's put it that way. Uh, well, okay, yes. So the the theory right. is that, <laughs> and this the is, theory this is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and, and the theory is that the uh, so it, it's going to be completely run on re here's what they're saying completely run on renewable power. Um, at the top, it's going to be open. There are going to be openings in the top so that uh, it's climate controlled and gets fresh air and all that stuff. But it's going to hold nine million people, mm -hmm. and they said that it's going to be made possible because of machine learning and AI apps that are going to run a lot of the infrastructure. Um, along with the surveillance. So, um, we'll get into that, that, that social part in a second. There are some concerns because this project supposedly it's being billed as going over virgin land in the desert that basically nobody wants. Right. It's not true. <laughs> there are tribes that live that are getting relocated. Um, and some of these tribes have been there for forever. And uh, people that speak out against this project um, have, uh, have been intimidated, have been arrested, and some have been disappeared. So, um, it, and the thing is, is, you know, my first thought was, well, this thing will never get off the ground. 
Um, well, it did. It's already started. Um, it's being seen as kind of a vanity project or something to project the power of the new ruler of Saudi Arabia. Um, the guy, you know, this happens. Uh, the UAE did something where they created all these islands, these private islands for the super rich people. And that flopped. Mm-hmm. And and literally they created these islands and the ocean took them back. Mm-hmm. Um, will this ever live up to it? It was supposed to um, have been like phase one was supposed to be done in 2020 with the second phase done by 2025. They really only have like two buildings up right now. So they're way behind. But what the new timeline says that by 2030, which is eight years from now, there's going to be nine million people living in this line. Let's let's pause right there for a second. Yeah, 2030 is how far away? Eight years. I'm getting old, man. Yeah, no kidding, right? I mean, it's just like <laughs> I know it's crazy, right? Yeah, that's that's just ridiculous, and and in like what <laughs> you said, they they're they're a little bit behind and um it uh, it is not all peaches and cream there's uh like you said there's been uh, indigenous tribes that have been or will be displaced um but i think in in to your point is it a publicity stunt stunt for a new crown prince maybe maybe not um but what i do see at least is um some out of the box thinking um by you know um by a group of uh, individuals that you know are looking to minimize you know the impact on the environment now maybe there's no way that humans can absolutely not impact the environment when we have to build a place to live for ourselves um but um i do wonder i'm not saying that i'm an expert on it um, I've, uh, at a very high level done my research on this and, and maybe a little deeper than most. Um, but one's got to, uh, at least come to the consensus that if you compress the area that we live in and build up instead of spread out, um, you would impact less over time, uh, a greater part of the land. Now, granted, this is an area of the world that you know primar- has a lot of real estate uh, for open for very good reason. <laughs> right, it's a desert. It's a desert, you know. Um, so are they drawing a line in the sand? Is that what they're doing? Hey, oh, oh. <laughs> but I, I they made it funny. <laughs> I, I did, I did, and you know, but it, it, you know, I at least like the idea of, hey, we're building up. We're we're going to try something new. We're going to try something different. Um, I'm definitely not trying to be naive about, um, you know, where this is coming from and who this affects and, you know, the things that are the unforeseens as of right now. Um, but I just, you know, I thought, I thought it was an interesting thing. Uh, and you know, when I started reading about it, I'm like, Hmm, this is a different take on how to, you know, where to put 9 million people. Yeah. That's very true. And um, let me give you my thoughts on it. Yeah, um, do it. So 9 million people, um, you're going to have a, it sounds wonderful until you lo- start looking at the practicalities of it. You're going to have to deal with the waste of 9 million people. Yep. That's enormous. Yeah, but and... you would have to deal with it anyways, right? I mean, I mean, nine million people are going to live someplace, so why not build an environment that, uh, you know, is at least ecologically more responsible? Um, I don't know. That's it, it, yeah. it, it's but okay. So you're building this in a desert, and you're going up. And I thought, well, maybe the air gets a lot colder as you go up so you could use some of the colder air to cool the place 
Well, but it doesn't really. Right. So on average, the formula is for every thousand feet in elevation, the temperature goes down 3.5 degrees. So at the top of this thing, you're looking at five and a half, six degrees colder. So that's not really going to do anything. Yeah, because right? you, you the height is 500 meters, 1,600 feet. Yeah. Yeah. In a desert. Yeah. So where's the water going to come from? Okay, you're it's going to butt up right up to the Red Sea. So you got desalinization plant. You're going to have to. There's no other option. Yep. For uh, 9 million people. Yeah, uh, it's being built in Tobuk province, which is northwestern Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's what is it? It's north of the Red Sea, uh, east of Egypt, uh, across from uh, across the Gulf, uh, and what it's, it's south of Jordan, right? So it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, I mean, almost in the middle of, you know, the, the, uh, it's almost in the middle of the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's dead in the middle. And so my thought is, can you leave? You're not going to have a car. So can you leave if you want to? Is everyone going to be that's there expected to work there? Um, And uh, I'll say my last thought for the end, but... Um, my, um, so Saudi Arabia is not the most tolerant of societies, right? Here, here we go. Um, he's absolutely correct, by the way. Yes. And, um, so there's certain lifestyles that are punishable by death there. There's certain behaviors that are punishable by prison or death. You're going to be in an enclosed ecosystem that they say AI and machine learning is going to be running and is going to be one of the most surveilled places in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the plan here? You know, this is my skepticism. Why do you want 9 million people in, in this? Well, you know, my take on it, and I think that's a great point. My take on it is, like China and other countries, you know, backing up from China for a second and just maybe using the example of the United Arab Emirates, um, the UAE, you know, they basically... What are all these uh, countries in the Middle East doing? They're 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 transforming their economies from oil to technology. That's what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. Well, you know where does the United States and if you don't know this answer, I'm going to answer it anyways. But where <laughs> where does the United States get most of its technology research from? It usually gets it from the space program. It usually gets it from Silicon Valley. It usually gets it from these things. What I the way I view this is, and I absolutely agree with you that is a cautionary tale. Um, mm -hmm. We we don't know where this super project is going, right? Yeah. Um, but we do know that it's innovative and it's never been done before, and it's um, it's it's definitely something. Uh, if you've ever played SimCity, you know it's definitely the mega development, right? Um, where you're going to have to really push technology um, to get this to work. Nothing on Earth has ever been quite done like this. In fact, it might actually be a good proving ground for when humans leave um, you know, Earth and go to Mars or the Moon. We would have to live in a very confined, condensed space like this. And Saudi Arabia may be looking at this as, well, one, it is a way to... Con uh, condense our population and and really make maximum use of resources that you know may not be here in the next 10 or 20 years um meaning oil but on top of that like you said um 
new uses for land conservation, new uses for really squeezing the blood out of the turnip, right? Uh, being able yeah. to get the most out of, you know, uh, desalinization technology as we know it today. Um, but it's a good proof of concept. And whenever you have a good POC, you innovate off that. And if you innovate off that, that can build new uh, economies of scale. It does. And, and everything you said is true. And the reality is, is we're looking at having mirrored mirrored walls that go up 1500 feet and people are going to be living they're going to be peoples and shops and stuff on every level right right so you're going to get so it, it works out to about every 11 miles 11 miles long 200 meters wide yeah 1500 feet up but the up doesn't matter so from a math perspective, it's kind of a cool concept, like you're saying. From... Now, to your point, which is a great point, this is not the most of tolerant countries um, when it <laughs> yeah. comes to, you know, uh, things that matter to other countries, such as women's rights and such as, you know, religious rights, religious rights and human rights in some ca many cases. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the reasons why projects like this work in other parts of the world, not just the United States, but in the Nordic countries, uh, Sweden, um, Denmark, um, Japan, you know, Japan has, you know, um, a lot of mega buildings and large infrastructure as does the United States, as does, you know, um, other other countries around the world, is because of one of two factors. One, there's a political will to do it, mm -hmm. or there's an open free market to support it. Yep. Yes. If you don't have one or the other, if you have both, oh, it's going to be a success. Um, just ask anybody who is part of the Gemini Project in the 1960s, <laughs> meaning going to the moon and putting men on the moon. That was the United States putting political will and economic will behind wanting to beat the Soviets to the moon. And they did it not in a small way, but in a big way. Um, and that's just a example. But, you know, you could see, um, you know, in, in Asia, the landlocked countries in Asia building like what you had said islands or infrastructure out beyond their coastal waters build entire airports yeah um so what and and why would that be a political why would there be political will why would there be an economic will because the more you could more people you can bring in the more commerce you can ship out the greater your economy and therefore it's self-serving and i believe that saudi arabia looks at this as a self-serving project yeah and and, and I, I, that's a really good point because uh in a lot of these places um housing is really tough and expensive and you know that I, I just saw something about um i think it was hong kong mm -hmm. that housing is so expensive people rent out basically like these little cubby holes that have smaller than a twin size bed and that's about all they have yeah and that is their that is their living arrangements now again it, from proof of concept okay um it's something i think wow that sounds really cool for someone else <laughs> <laughs> for someone else well i was just about to say yeah, there are some people in San Francisco who are suffering from the same claustrophobia, let's put it. Yeah, yeah. But so that's the one part. The other part is what is the end game? Yeah. Who uh, you're looking at, at very, very strong authoritarian leaders having all their people in one place under watch what it, what's going to happen and what a lot of places are going to be looking at this right yep and the other question i i never saw answered 
who is going to live here? Mm. So it's either going to be the really rich or the really poor. Um, it would be interesting if there was a play to grow the middle class because usually that's where the power from most countries, you know, when I mean by power, I'm talking economic power, right? Economic engine. Yeah. Um, the middle class, uh, really, uh, energize the, the, um, the economic engine in the United States. It's one of the reasons why our economy is so big. Um, it would be interesting if this was a, <laughs> um, a incubator for the middle class. Um, and that's not a thought that I've had previous to this conversation, but the, you know, the questions you're asking are just kind of, you know, that that's where my mind's going with it yeah. is how, how could you not, but again, you know, that's that's you and I growing up in a country that has very different values, not necessarily better or worse values. I'm not, you know, uh, I mean, I, I personally feel that they are better values, um, you know, more humane values. Um, yeah. I, I've had friends yeah. who lived in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> so I, I have some um, uh, some experience here um, and experience from, you know, uh, firsthand accounts of what what happens um, but, you know, one would think that somebody would want, uh, within the government of Saudi Arabia, that they would want, um, you know, uh, things to be better within their country. And so if this would be an incubator for middle class, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and that would be best case scenario. And, and one would hope that that's what it is. But... um let's look at the experience here mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. you bring a young child into this environment mm -hmm. it's it's walled it's climate controlled um it it's kind of artificial oh yeah absolutely what what are you raising You, yeah. can, can you take them out of that environment where all of a sudden, guess what? You're in a desert, <laughs> right? So you got to leave your climate control thing and it's really freaking hot out there. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at <laughs> what we're dealing with is reality versus vision, right? Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and, and I really love where your mind's going with it because what I see from, um, you know, all of the marketing uh and all of the um and it's retail marketing by the way um is lush green space um up um a thousand feet with a with a barren desert around it around it meaning you know saudi saudi arabia planted the flag and they said you know what we can terraform and we can build a lush um you know gorgeous environment in our in our uh, country and we can have our citizens live you know here and be lead productive lives that's the that's the marketing narrative i see now the reality that you're going down uh, and asking i i think is a great one you you have essentially four walls <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. There are four walls there might be some green on the side of those walls you may have you may have access to the rest of the world from a digital content perspective, but we know that Saudi Arabia also monitors and in many cases, um, you know, restricts access to certain uh, types of uh, media outside of Saudi Arabia. So, you know, um, the vision that they want to project versus the vision that they have projected within their own country are two very different things. And uh, point taken. Yeah. In, in, uh, okay. So just so we were talking about the four walls. Okay. Tiger Woods can hit a golf ball twice as far as this thing is wide. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. No, it is not very wide. You are, you are absolutely right. And it, yeah. It, and, and so one of the, the, the one thing that, that, um, I think a lot of people miss 
and, and one of the secret sauces of uh of the u.s and, and and this exists in other parts of the world as well but one of the secret sauces of the u.s is we're so messy <laughs> we're, we're we're um no one wants to see how the sausage is made no one does and you know what um a, a state like texas is a great example and i think california used to be this way but a state like texas is a, a really good example it truly is a melting pot mm-hmm. you've got you've got old texans and you've got new texans and you've got people from all over going there now and you've got kind of a and again we're not getting political but here's where the secret sauce comes in you've got some really really conservative elements there but that conservative element is very fiercely proud of the people within texas so you also have some really liberal free thinkers austin austin protected protected by the conservative texans you know what i'm saying yeah i get it and and i mean this in the most positive way that this is a good thing you need you need those hard-headed conservative types to hold down the rules and you need the weirdos that are protected by those hardheads to be creative. And that's the secret sauce. Yeah, I was going to have a little bit of everything. I was going to ask you, what if this project, whether it be the same scope and size or smaller, were to be built in Nevada, Phoenix area maybe maybe not in the phoenix area let's say even the south south let's say east of tucson and 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 west of texas (laughs) so through new mexico and you know what what happens if this project were to be proposed in the united states do you think it would what would be different about it i i don't see how you could get you'd get people to buy into it Mm -hmm. because with the exception, you might be able to get some people that are used to living in cities and skyscrapers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think Americans like their wide open spaces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if that were here, you'd have to have it so that people would use it as a living space but had the opportunity to leave anytime they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And would probably and would have cars cuz we love our cars. Yeah. Yeah, it de- it definitely highlights and showcases the differences in cultures. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And and to your point, and I don't care what anybody says and I'll I'll take them up on the uh on the challenge anytime. Um because I've driven from east coast to west coast and from you know the south borders of this country to the north borders of this country i can tell you that we're made up of you know 48 contiguous uh little countries yeah <laughs> uh, we yeah. really are yeah yeah we are we are very different uh in every state and 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 very different in a good way i'm not saying bad i'm i'm saying it's good that we've we've got good barbecue car- culture down down in texas and mm. you know we've we've got uh you know, good seafood culture on, on the East and West Coast. I mean, you know, food makes up a good part of it and, you know, and, and people's experiences and, and where they where they grew up and how they grew up definitely um, makes for unique um, culture. And, yeah. um, you know, um, culture is very different in throughout the United States here. And I, I agree with you that uh, I don't see a project like that being very successful. I see it on a much smaller scale being successful if it was part of an urban development type of project um maybe if a yeah, a yeah. city like um uh what's a really good city a good candidate city for something like this um something like um 
uh, you know, maybe like an Austin, even, you know, Austin's pretty techie techie and yeah. they'd, they'd be into something like this. That'd be kind of cool. Um, or if you were trying to revitalize a downtown, you know, area, whatever, whatever it may be, or if you were looking for like a Detroit, like a Detroit, that's a great example. Yep. Absolutely. And they've made some strides. Not, not this in Detroit. We love, a, we, we love us some, some Michiganders. Here, here comes the hate mail. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get some hate mail from, from Detroiters. That's I love okay. Detroit. They love, I'm huge in Detroit. They yeah, love me there. They love you there. It's awesome. But I'm yeah, I don't about the Lions. I, I really am sorry about the Lions, guys. Who are the Lions? You know, um that's where uh that's where Matthew Stafford played his semi pro before he got a Super Bowl. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's not gonna help either, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> and and no one disagrees, especially Lions fans. <laughs> well, they made a commercial about it, which was adorable. The AT&T commercial. We are... He was talking about his old phone, which was lightly veiled at, at his years in, in Detroit. Oh, we've got awesome. that topic. We've got, you yeah. know, but that that's an interesting, but, you know, uh, uh, in our foray of uh, wild topics, you know, one of the things that we didn't talk about is, you know, one of the things that makes great metropolitan areas work um, usually is culture, uh, cultural type of things, museums, yeah. museums, sporting events. You know, I didn't really see any sporting events planned for this in Saudi Arabia. They play what? A lot of soccer, right? Um, yeah. we, they call it football, but a lot of soccer, they play cricket. I believe they play cricket. Um, uh, or at least some, you know, many do. Um, yeah. I believe, so they, they have sports like that. I, how no, do you, you know what? That? That's a good, you know? you know what? That's a, that's a really good point. Tim, because cities, they they have a personality. Yes, they really do. They they have a personality because part of it's the history, but part of it is like, you know, how you grow up there, and you know, like Philly has its own personality. Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh has a different personality. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, you've got um. All these, all these different cities have because it's that's a really good point, man. And so, what does each pod gets its own personality? Yeah, I mean, you know, and yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you, you know, you're looking at one city, right? So, how does that work? I mean, so yeah. I think, I think what is a good uh, and a bad about this project is. Very much like Texas versus California, you're going to create a culture from within a culture. Yeah, yeah. And you know your idea. I I don't. I'm not saying that it was your idea, but you were alluding to the idea of a police state just because of how Saudi Arabia is today, and yeah. you know the technology and the AI that would be, you know, people would be concerned about. It's just so easy. Uh, it's just so easy, <laughs> right? It would be like, you know, quite literally, um, you know, being able to, if you needed to find somebody, just, you know, turn on one or, or review one of the 56,000 video cameras, surveillance cameras that sit in the right, city, with, right? With, with facial recognition and where's where's Jimmy? Yeah, oh, because, there he is. Yeah, because remember, <laughs> remember, they don't have the same laws to protect people in Saudi Arabia that they do here, so... Right. Um, but, you know, could this... You know, and now we're getting into a dark area, and, and that yeah, wasn't... And... and that wasn't really meant to be the topic of this show, but, but what's an interesting thing is, could this be something that backfires on the, um, the government of Saudi Arabia... You know, um, if you're in a very creative, um, very um, incubator type of space where a lot of people are doing a lot of cool things in a lot of cool areas, and maybe you're not part of the narrative, which is the rest of the country, could this be more of a liberal area that may go wow. awry? Yeah. Wow. Going the other way, interesting. Going the other way, and you know, only time will tell. Um, and I have, yeah, it, you know, 
yeah, and, and honestly, I think, I think what we want to do, we're nerds, so this is kind of a technological thing, but I think we just want our listeners to be aware that mm-hmm. this is happening, mm-hmm. and if you know to look for it, then when you hear news stories, it, it will reveal what what the plan is, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then other governments will be looking at this. There's no question to see how it can benefit them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what we the worst case scenario would be that they start building this thing and then it turns out to be nothing and it's a great big fat failure because nobody wants a big great big fat failure. Um, you know, we want to see something cool and we want to see yeah. something innovative and um, you know, impacting the human experience for the good um, is something that we would always like to see and 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 I think. I think this is kind of the cornerstone of our show is how does technology impact the human experience? And this is definitely a huge impact in a country that, you know, um, you know, could use um, some different scales of economy. Um, Let's not just make it for oil anymore. Let's bring some tech industry in there. Maybe their innovations, you know, foster change for the better. And that would be something that'd be awesome to see. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and anytime like this, there's you're probably going to get a mixed bag, right? Right. Some st- some stuff is going to be just crappy, and some stuff is going to be truly amazing. And maybe we learn something and, and pick some really cool stuff out of it. But um, it's just something to keep an eye on and see if they get more than first their first see if they get more than uh, a few pods built. And um, you know, this guy seems pretty motivated. So if any, if anyone's going to do it, I think this guy's going to do it. We'll so. see. We'll see what happens. It'll yeah. be, it be fun to watch. That's for sure. Absolutely. And we'll keep on reporting on it when, when we get more, more information. Thanks, George. That was a good one. Yeah, they're not going to like me in Detroit, are they? No, they're probably not. <laughs> <laughs>